The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Welcome, I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me again on Psych Up Live. We have actually passed the 300 mark for our shows, so I want to express a thank you to all the listeners out there. Today, our show is in entitled, Why Losing a Dog Hurts So Much, and I know it's a show that will have personal meaning for many. There are over 76 million dogs in homes in the U.S. alone, and of course many worldwide. Anyone who has or has had a dog knows how much they are loved. They also know that their loss can be excruciating. What makes the loss so great? What is it about dogs that make them so important to us? How do we handle this loss? We are so fortunate to have as our guest expert today, Dr. Frank McAndrew, evolutionary and social psychologist who is a returning guest to Psych Up Live. He will be drawing upon his personal experience as well as cultural phenomenon and scientific research to illuminate our extraordinary relationship with dogs and the impact of their loss. Dr. Frank McAndrew is the Cornelia H. Dudley Professor of Psychology at Knox College and an elected fellow of several professional organizations, including the Association for Psychological Science. His research has appeared in dozens of scientific journals, as well as a wide range of news outlets, including Time Magazine, The Washington Post, The New Republic, The Guardian. His research has also featured in media outlets. You probably heard him on the BBC, CNN, the New York Times, NBC's Today Show. Dr. McAndrew has lectured throughout the U.S. and in countries ranging alphabetically from Denmark to Tanzania. Dr. Frank McAndrew, it is my privilege to welcome you back to Psych Up Live. Well, thank you. It's my privilege to be back. Thank you so much. So, Frank, you did an article in which you said why we off you dealt with the question of why we often mourn the loss of a dog more than even a friend or a relative. It had over five million viewers. That's an important topic to people. What made you bring up this topic? Well, uh, I got to thinking about this after I lost a dog some years ago. Um, I have a new dog, by the way, but. Uh, About four years ago, we had a dog named Murphy who uh, passed away after 12 years. And once again, I was struck at how difficult the whole experience was. And this was not the first time I'd lost a dog. But every time it happens, I, I find it very, very traumatic. And it reminded me of all the times I'd talked to friends and other people that I've known who've lost dogs. And they would... Uh, talk about their grief years sometimes after it had happened, Mm -hmm. and they Mm -hmm. would spontaneously report that, you know, losing the dog uh, hurt just as much as losing some of their family members and friends. Mm -hmm. And um, I started reflecting on this and doing a little reading on why this might be the case. And for me, it was sort of cathartic to write this article. I didn't really envision that it was going to go viral like that and connect with so many different people. Regularly, every week, I still get a message or two from somebody out there in the world who saw the article. And it's one of the few things I think I've ever written that people found comforting. Uh, Usually, I get quite the opposite kind of response. (laughs) So uh, anyway, um, I wrote the article more as a way of exploring my own feelings about this as, as much as anything else. Well, one of the things you did is confirm the feelings probably for many people out there because one of the things you say, and that's and something I've come across, is what complicates the grief and the loss of a pet, and in this case a dog, is that people are not sure 
whether the loss will be minimized, whether people will bring question, how can you have so much feelings for an animal, it's just a pet. So there is an added layer to the person's grief in terms of not often feeling there's an opening or a space to share it. Uh, one thing I wrote about in a blog on, on the similar topic was a group I, read, I led many years ago where a woman opened the group by saying she had first apologized and then she said, I'm upset. I'm going to be speaking about the loss of my dog, Sky, who I named because he was always looking at the moon. And I, I don't know where to go with the pain, but I'm a, I'm a bit embarrassed to bring it up. Well, of course, the group members, now this is a therapy group, responded, they were soothing, and then one man, who was usually quite contentious in the group, said, I have to tell you something I've never told anyone. When I lost Caesar, my lab, I was so distraught, I rode around with him in the car on the back seat for a number of days. I just, I couldn't face it, and I didn't know what to do. And, of course, the group responded. So they had the rare opportunity to talk about it. And people look for that opportunity. But, as you said, we don't really have a cultural um, scheme for dealing with this. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, And there is sort of a a safety net uh, culturally for people who have lost a family member. Um, Everybody recognizes what a traumatic event that is and what a loss it is. And so there are all kinds of things built in to help people through that. There are memorial services with celebrations of the person's life. There's an obituary in the local paper uh, describing the person's life and how that person was connected to other people. Uh, If you are going to need to take a few days off from work. Everybody understands, you know, it's, oh my God, yes, you just lost your mother. Uh, do whatever you need to do to get through this and come back when you're ready. Um, there are all kinds of ways of showing appreciations. You bring food over to people's houses. You send them cards. You send them flowers. None of that really exists for our mm-hmm. pets and our mm-hmm. dogs in particular. Now, in recent years, I have noticed uh, in card shops, you can now get pet bereavement cards yes, so right. that if someone has lost a cat or a dog, you can now send them a card. So I think there's starting to be a little more awareness of this. But up until now, when you lose your dog, yeah, people know that you're sad, but you're still supposed to show up at work the next day and just kind of get on with it like nothing mm-hmm special happened. And you used the word embarrassment when you were um, introducing the question. And that's how people feel. Uh, Why am I overcome with this emotion? Um, I should be able to rise above this. What's the matter with me? And I think just another reason for writing the article was to let people know it's okay. As a matter of fact, people would worry about you if you didn't show this kind of remorse uh, over the dog. Um, Bill Cosby, back when it was okay to think he was funny, uh, used to tell a funny story about when he was a kid, they would beg their dad for a dog, and the dog or the dad would always say, no, no, we can't get a dog, because when the dog dies, you'll feel terrible, you'll be sad, and I don't want you to go through that. And then the kids would say, oh, no, no, we promise, we promise, we won't be sad when the dog dies, and then the father would respond, well... If you didn't care about the dog enough to be sad when it dies, you don't deserve to have a dog. So, you know, <laughs> yes. no matter which way you go, uh, the father wins. But, yes, so, uh, so yeah. One, one thing you, you mentioned as we were talking before, which, which I've come across, too, is as with humans and particularly parents with children, um, the way the dog dies, the way the loss happens also adds to the complication of the grieving and the feeling that it can be shared. Um, and I, I, I have a very close friend who lost a dog when she was walking him, and it's been really, the book Bearing the Unbearable helped her. But it's really quite devastating. And I know you were mentioning different ways that sometimes pets are lost recently that, that maybe we can mention. Sure. Uh, well, the grief isn't just one emotion. 
It's a combination of all kinds of other negative emotions rolled together. And depending upon how the dog is lost, you may be piling more of those negative emotions onto the heavy weight uh, of grief that you already feel. As soon as you get a dog, you know that someday you and the dog are going to part. You accept it as a natural part of life. The dog is going to die someday. But you choose just not to think about that uh, most of the time until right near the end. And... When the dog dies, if the dog dies naturally, it is devastating, and the sense of loss is great, and you do grieve. But if you have to take the step of being the one that decides the dog needs to be put to sleep, uh, to put it out of its misery, now you, in a way, are killing the dog. I mean, that's the way you feel about it. And even though you know it's the right thing to do, that complicates the experience quite a bit. And there's going to be guilt about that and uncertainty. Did you rush and do it too soon and deprive the dog of a few more good days? Did you wait too long and make the dog suffer longer than it should have? So all kinds of other negative things come into play there. Mm-hmm. Complicating. Recently, during the pandemic, there's been um, a, a real epidemic during the pandemic of dog theft, especially in the UK for some reason. And lots of people have had their pets stolen. And this creates a whole other layer of troubling emotions. Well, first of all, there's the guilt that you were careless enough, that's how you might feel, to put the dog in a position where it could be stolen. But also, now there's all kinds of uncertainty. Where is the dog? How is the dog? Is it suffering? Mm. Is it still alive? Is it ever coming back? Um, So now there's this swirling negative emotions, and there's no closure. When you know that the dog has died, you kind of, you know, grieve and move on. But with a stolen pet, there's no closure. You don't know. And that can make it all the, all the worse, I think. That, that's the kind of thing where you wish there was even an online group where people could talk about that with each other, where they would know that other people are walking in the same shoes of the unknown and, and the loss associated to the unknown. I'm glad you brought that up, and I want our listeners to know we're bearing witness to that as very difficult um, loss to bear. So let's go to the question, um, even, even though we're going to take a, a break in a few minutes What is it about this species? What is it about dogs? Is it a bond like no other? Well, sure. We have relationships with all kinds of animals. We have cats and we have goldfish and some people have horses. But the dog is the only one that has been shaped through evolution specifically to be our friends. Other domesticated animals have been bred and shaped for one task or another, and we certainly have a fondness for them. But uh, And cats are not as terribly different from their wild ancestors as dogs are. And uh, sometimes I've gotten some negative response from cat owners over this article yes, because they yeah. feel like I'm disrespecting cats and mm-hmm. that I don't like cats. I have had cats. I like cats. I you know, understand why people get attached to them as well. But they're different. The dog exists to be your friend. The cat exists for the cat's benefit and will enjoy your company as long as you're providing what it wants. Uh, And therefore, we're programmed to respond to the dog just as the dog is programmed to respond to us. And it's the only animal like that. Now, let's talk a little bit about, um, you mentioned it in your article, Brian Hare's domestication hypothesis. What, what do you want to say about that, Frank? Well, we tend to think of um, human beings as being the ones in the driver's seat, that we domesticated the dog, we actively did something, but it makes just as much sense to think of the dog as having domesticated us. Mm-hmm. Uh, to make a very short version of what the domestication hypothesis is all about. Um, The earliest dogs were actually wolves that would kind of hang around outside of human settlements. And the wolves that were most tolerant of human beings and less afraid of them and less aggressive toward them were sort of encouraged. They were fed, they were 
treated nicely by the people. The more aggressive wolves were killed or driven away. The wolves that were afraid of humans stayed away. And so this turned out to be very adaptive for the human-friendly wolves. They got more to eat. They were protected from other predators. They started to reproduce more successfully. And over time, they changed. Um, But they changed because they had found uh, a new niche to fill that another animal had not already gotten to before them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In, in one of the things, it just fits exactly with what you say. Brian Hare says the friendliest wolves who became dogs got smarter by accident, not because we did it, but the more they stayed and were in the social company of humans and the more humans saw their benefit, <clears throat> they began to read human cues in an extraordinary way. Um, You know, like I think you mentioned it, five-week-old puppies can read human gestures in a way that very very few other animals can do that. Yes, dogs understand when you point at something or when you look at something that there's something to follow. Wolves don't get that. Wolves don't Mm -hmm. understand that. Um, And so, yeah, the dogs who throughout the centuries uh, responded to us the most positively were the ones that we treated the best and the ones that we encouraged to have puppies. And they got more and more friendly as time goes on. You succeed by pleasing people. That that was the message that their genes received. And one of the things that we'll talk about on the other side of the break is, you know, the MRI scans that show how important we are to dogs and how attuned they are. We only have to take a look at companion dogs and service dogs to see their extraordinary ability to tune to tune into people's needs. It's really amazing. It's really quite amazing. Um, so in terms of the domestication hypothesis, I guess we would say it sort of happened that those who dared, as you said, to be closest to humans got the benefit of socialization, and then they took it from there. Yep, they absolutely did. And anybody who has a dog knows that they're not really in charge. The dog is the one in charge, right? Your whole schedule is built around the dog. and um, So, yeah, it's been a good deal for both of us, I think. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a break, and on the other side of the break, we're going to take a look at some of the MRI scans that show how dogs attend to us and even give some examples of some of these um, service dogs. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're fortunate to have as our returning guest, Dr. Frank McAndrew. He's a He's the Cornelia H. Dudley Professor of Psychology at Knox College, and he's talking to us about the loss the painful loss of a dog, our tendency to believe we can't talk about that loss, and the need for us to to do just that, which is what this show is about, and also the recognition that they are a species like no other in terms of their attunement to us as humans. Stay with us. Call in. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in every week for Making Action Happen, hosted by Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. The program takes you inside Action 22, a Colorado-based community outreach organization established in 1999. The show focuses on public policies, both politically driven or not, which have ongoing and immediate impact on the Colorado community and the world. It doesn't matter where you are, you can make action happen. Listen Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Voice America Variety. Are you ready to be the one to change, to stand out from others, and make a difference? Join Dr. Melissa L. Strasser for Counterbalance Conversations. You'll pick up the tools, the motivation, and the desire that you need to make sustainable changes in our world. It only takes one person to be that counterbalance. 
What if the counterbalance was an entire network of individuals? Think of the changes that we could make. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance of success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Hi, folks. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. I'm here with Dr. Frank McAndrew. And we were just speaking about, we want to share with you, uh, even the MRI research, functional MRIs show what part of the brain lights up when a deliberate person is, you know, shown a certain stimulus. And Frank, you and I were talking about the surprise that there's little or no difference. The same part of the brain lights up whether the dog sees a hot dog after the toy or the owner after the toy. Is that something you would have guessed as a pet owner, a dog owner for these years? Yes, I think I would have. Um, Evolution prepares us to find things that are essential to our survival to be irresistible. And so for human beings, we love the taste of certain foods. We love people who look a certain way. We love gossip because uh, it, we have to know what other people are going uh, or what they're doing. So um, for the dog who has evolved to be our companion, food is obviously going to be something that lights up the reward centers in the brain. But so is familiar people, people that they have a bond with. And I guess I wasn't surprised to see that the very same part of the brain that's lighting up when the dog sees a hot dog is pretty much the same part of the brain that lights up when they see or hear their owner. Mm -hmm. Their attunement to people, Frank, I would say, and you, you might know even better than I do, is what makes them unbelievable in the service of companion dogs and service service dogs. I had mentioned that there was an article in our local paper about um, Coder, a six-year-old grief therapy dog. Now, this is a dog who was adopted or rather rescued by um, Peter Maloney, who owns a funeral parlor. And Coder became trained as a grief therapy dog to be at, if you can believe it, a number of services a day where different people Interesting, we're talking about grieving a dog, and here's a dog facilitating humans grieving. This this dog allowed people to hug him and hold him and rub him and serviced those people often who can't quite say it and need need the touch that provides the oxytocin and the relief. One of the, the precious stories that is shared in the article is the case of an elderly man who lost his wife. And Coda, the dog, somehow must have picked this up because he spent the entire service with his head on that dog's, on that man's lap. So when we see that, Frank, we know that the attunement is really extraordinary. And we see it with veterans who have service dogs. It's really remarkable. Yes, it is. And that's a very touching story. Uh, There have been a number of studies that show how attuned the dog is to their owners. They can tell when you're upset. They can tell when you're sad. They can read your emotions pretty well. But that story is fascinating because you're describing a dog who reacts to perfect strangers the same way. They're not just reading their owner. The dog is reading people in general. And um, yeah, so I find that 
very, very interesting. Mm. Now, the other question that comes up with training, and uh, you've had dogs and so you've trained them, and that is, is using food preferable to the presence of the owner? Um, I don't, you correct me. I think I read that using food will move the training quicker, but once trained, there is a t- toss-up. Well, it's it's complicated, yeah. Um, first of all, it may depend on the dog. But just like people, dogs have personalities, and some of them attach more strongly than others. And so for the dog who's really bonded with the owner, the praise will be a bigger reward than it will be for the dog that's less attached. Uh, and also, it depends how you use food and praise. So, for example, if you have... Uh, deprived the dog of food for a while, you made it skip a meal, and it's really hungry, in that case, the food is probably going to be more the more effective training device because the dog needs that more. On the other hand, a very well-fed dog who isn't particularly hungry, um, especially if they haven't seen the owner for a while, uh, may respond much more strongly to praise. So I don't think it's a simple either-or kind of thing. It depends on a variety of different things. But... Uh, Putting both of them together makes for very effective training. Well, one thing that really caused me to take note is the description of the study where the dog can go down one path. He's like in the fork of a road. He can go down one path where he sees the bowl of food. The other path, he sees the back of his owner. And it's pretty much of a toss-up. And to me, the most poignant piece was the number of dogs that stood there somewhat hesitant, meaning that means they were clearly torn between each possible variable. Telling, tell, I mean, one of the things the study said is this kind of uh, discounts the idea that our dogs only love us because we feed them, because there were dogs ready to give up and did give up running to the food and instead ran to the, ran to the owner. So I, I think what you felt with your dogs and what people feel is true. The bond is extraordinary, extraordinary enough to probably compete with food. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and that is a terrible dilemma to put a dog in, right? You can yes. have one of the things you love most, but you've got to choose. And I think, as I was saying earlier, uh, it depends on the dog's state of mind at the moment, which one of those things is going to be more compelling. But they absolutely do watch us. My wife and I were just talking about this yesterday in our house. Uh, we spent a lot of time with the dog in the last a year and a half because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So every little thing we do, if you put your sunglasses on, the dog gets excited because she thinks she's going somewhere. Right. Or if they see you changing from one pair of shoes to another, uh, meaning you're taking off shoes you don't usually go walking in and putting on shoes you do, they're excited and jumping around. So every little thing we do, they're, we don't know that they're watching us, but they are. And their attunement, my experience having little grandchildren oh, who've lived their whole life with dogs, big Rhodesian Ridgeback, Jack Russells. I mean, one little 18-month-old, little, little uh, Lila, she, as she passes um, the Jack Russell, she pets him every time, whether he's in the cage or what. He seems to know. Uh, they're both a little. They're both so cute. But that brings us to something you mentioned in your article, which is apparently we have our dogs on our brains because of this study called the misnaming study. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little about that. Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of a fun study because it showed that when people misname and uh, for the listeners that's when you accidentally call somebody by somebody else's name so you've often had the experiences uh, yelling at one of your children and you you know you have to say two or three names before you get the right one out Um, you mix them up well it turns out the dog's name frequently gets mentioned and I've done this myself uh, several times just in this past year when I'm talking about my daughter or granddaughter or the dog the wrong wrong name comes out. I mix up my dog's names. The, uh, we frequently, our, our current dog is named Audrey Hepburn, just because we like <laughs> to say things like, Audrey Hepburn is drinking out of the toilet again. But um, we'll sometimes say Murphy when we mean Audrey because Murphy was our previous dog. Mm. So 
what that means is where we go into our brain to retrieve the names of people who are important to us, the dog's name is in there. Mm. And the dog's name gets pulled out uh, very often when we're misnaming. Uh, curiously, that doesn't happen with cat names. Hmm. It's a perhaps Not very stored, often, anyway. stored in a different way, but I have sometimes gone down the list of pets who are deceased, present pets, before I get to the kid's name. So I'll say, Jasper, Daisy, no, I mean, William, William. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. it's it, it's quite ridiculous in some ways, but I hadn't thought about them being as much a part of your unconscious and your brain storage, you know, as, as anything else. I, another yeah, thing, I guess, go ahead. I was just going to say, when we're filing things away, we put similar things together. And, you know, and at some level, that means uh, our relationship with the dog gets filed with our relationship with our children. Mm-hmm. The mention of children makes me think about the fact and, and, the, and the issue and the reality of children being part of a family that loses a pet. At one point, um, the original... Um, Rhodesian Ridge, Ridgeback Jasper died and my son told me about this in a f- FaceTime call with a little Cleary at the time who was about four she saw me start to cry and she said oh Nanny Sue um, you know mommy cried when she heard Jasper died and Grandma Kathy cried and Aunt Laura cried and you cried and I cried we all cried. I said, well, we all love Jasper. So it's, it's an interesting thing to take into account the children's feelings regarding the loss because in the mix, the adults are, of course, attached, but children are very attached to the pets in the family. Sure they are, yeah. And for children, very often the loss of a dog uh, may be their first brush with losing someone important to you to death. Mm-hmm. And so... It isn't just about losing that dog, but it's the first time perhaps the child has had to deal with this kind of loss in their life. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree. Now, let's talk about um, one of the things you mentioned in the article is that one of the reasons, and I think we can include children and family members, that we so mourn the loss of dogs is because of the varied roles they play. In our in our lives, let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. Well, uh, we have all kinds of relationships with our dogs. Uh, in some ways, they're like proteges of ours. You know, we're taking them under our wing and teaching them tricks and teaching them how to behave and teaching them about the world. And so it's the way a teacher might feel about a pupil or a parent might feel about a child. But they're also just our companions. And they, they don't judge us. You know, they're, they're there for us. They're always in a good mood. They're happy to see us. You can be the most lonely, unlikable person in the world. But when you come home from work at the end of the day, your dog is glad to see you. And there's nowhere else in life that we get this unconditional positive regard. You know, it doesn't matter uh, how bad of a person you are. Your dog still thinks you're great. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and in a very practical way, dogs are important to us because they help us structure our lives. Anybody who has a dog knows that you schedule what, at our house, we get up early in the morning because the dog insists that we get up early and take it for a walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, we worry about, okay, if we're going to go out somewhere, uh, we've got to get home by a certain time because the dog has been alone for a while and needs to be let out. We're planning vacations around the needs of the dogs. People who have an old dog that's not in good health will often cancel their travel plans because they don't want to leave the dog. So the dog kind of organizes our daily routine. And when that gets ripped away from us, the sense of loss is profound. I think one of the reasons why the dog may stress us out, the death of a dog may stress us out more than the death of a relative that we don't see very often, for example, mm-hmm. is that when the relative dies, your day-to-day life really hasn't changed. But when the dog dies, your entire schedule is disrupted. And that's one of the most 
common sources of stress in life, change and change of routine. I, I also think you mentioned it, and there's no doubt about the health benefits of having a dog. I saw more people walking than I had ever seen before during COVID. Some dogs were walked many times a day. <laughs> I'm a runner. I would see, wait a minute, I thought that dog was walked earlier today, but many people were outside walking the dog. So I think we know about being outside and walking is a positive. Add to that the bond with the dog while you're walking. The social possibilities of walking in dog parks are such a big thing all over. People go, they talk, they visit dog parks. So to lose that becomes a loss on many different levels. And many people say what you say in terms of, especially if they're living alone, Frank, to know that 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 little dog or that big dog is there for them and they talk about going out with that dog and they talk about the weather with the dog and they watch TV with the dog. And these are, as you say, different than a relative who lives somewhere in New Hampshire. This is a life partner for a couple. We do do talk to them. Mm -hmm. We do talk to them all the time. And, uh, our dogs. Uh, our dog is very. When we talk to it, it looks at us intently and lifts up its ears, and it, she cocks her head back and forth as if, "Gee, I wish I could understand." Uh, so they give you this this feedback. You know, they are listening to you. They do know that you're trying to communicate with them, and that's very gratifying. And you mentioned something that's very important. They are kind of a segue into social relationships with other people. If I walk around town with my dog, invariably somebody will. Just briefly say, oh, what a nice dog, or mm-hmm. what a pretty dog, or what kind of dog is that, or that dog reminds me of a dog I used to have, and you begin a conversation with the person. If I'm walking around by myself, nobody says anything. You know, it's, there's no it's true. connection there. So the dog opens up relationships with other people uh, in a way that most other pets can't. You don't walk your goldfish. Absolutely. One man said no one cared about him or even asked him who he was in the neighborhood till he got a dog. <laughs> All mm-hmm. of a sudden, people who had ignored him now spoke to him. So I absolutely think that, that that's that's so true. Um, one of my one of the- uh, wife's bit of advice for my son when he moved off to a city where he didn't know anybody after college uh, was to get a dog and take the dog out and walk it around because he would meet girls that way. Absolutely. They call them chick magnets, I think. Yeah. And I actually think they work. Um, it, it's very, it's a very interesting thing. So when we put these together, we, we have to come back to what, what our folks are listening and wondering about, which is in the face of all this loss, if I've just had this loss, and we're going to stop and take a break before we come to this, do I dare, how could I even consider getting another pet? Um, that's a very, very complicated topic for a lot of people, Frank, and I think that's the one we're going to talk about, talk about on the other side of this. Folks, you've been listening to us on Psych Up Live. We're here with Dr. Frank McAndrew. He suffered the loss of his own dog, a number of dogs, and we, we're talking about the research, the science, the social bond, the health issues, the health improvement with pets, but now we're going to face... Can you reconnect with a new pet? Should you reconnect with a new pet? Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Are you ready for a shakeup in your online entertainment? Then listen for the Information Edge with Darren Yancey. It's time to take a fresh look at the politics of our economy and its impact on you. Darren and his guests will explain these rights, legislation, and observations in sectors that affect people around the world every day. Imagine a podcast that makes you stop and think. That's the Information Edge. Tune in every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Central, and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you looking for a happy lifestyle? Now that's a crazy question, isn't it? Everyone wants to be happy, but we struggle in trying to figure out how to get there. Want help with that? Then tune in to Say Yes, Be Happy with Natalie Botros. Find out about the Bon Vivant Girl lifestyle and learn how to enjoy every aspect of life and be happy. Say yes, be happy. Listen live every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Hi, folks. Welcome back. I'm here with Dr. Frank McAndrew, Our topic is the love we have for dogs and what we face when we lose a dog, how much we love them and how we proceed. And the the topic we're going to pick up now is one that many people have mixed feelings about, and that is when you lose your dog, do you reconnect with a new pet? Should you? Can you? At what point should you do it? Frank, let's talk about this dilemma and this option. Sure, and that's uh, one of the first things you start wondering about after you've lost a pet. Um, I was a little concerned uh, when we lost our dog, Murphy, four years ago. My wife was extremely attached to her. They were constant companions, and she was absolutely devastated, and she loved that dog so deeply. Uh, I was really afraid that, you know, she might not be able to ever really accept a new dog because it wasn't that dog. And we've usually taken about two years uh, between losing a dog and getting a new one. I do think we're not ready to run right out and get another one. But I think people are very different in this regard. Uh, There are people who just absolutely need to have a dog in their life. And as sad and grief-stricken as they are losing one, they immediately want to fill that void, and they're eager to get out there and get a new dog as soon as possible. Uh, But there are others who don't recognize the importance of dogs in general in their life. It was that dog. And for these Mm -hmm. people, the thought of getting a dog that isn't the dog they've lost is kind of a non-starter because it'll never be the same in their mind. So I think there are a couple of different reasons why people uh, don't get another dog. One of them is they can't replace that dog. No dog will ever be as good. But uh, I've known some people who were so grief-stricken and devastated by the loss of a dog, they just never want to put themselves through it again. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I think what you're saying is true. I also think... Sometimes they might want to, but as you worried about your wife, another member of the family has feelings about it. So when considering about reconnecting and going forward with another pet, the question becomes, are you ready? Are the other family members ready? And then the other question I don't have the answer to is, how about the other dogs in the family? Are they ready Mm -hmm. to take on a new dog? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, certainly when we're talking about the people in the family, everybody needs to be on board. Uh, you don't want to go out and get that other dog unless everybody has indicated, yep, I'm ready, let's do it, um, because there's going to be tension, uh, and people are going to resent the fact that you've brought a new dog in when you've made your feelings clear that, you know, that they didn't want a new dog to come into the house. 
the other, how the other dogs feel, I think, is more of an open question. I, I don't think dogs grieve over the loss of other dogs uh, as much as we grieve over the loss of dogs. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for the, from the dog's point of view, it might be as simple as, wow, one less mouth to feed. Um, and so when you bring in a new dog, there's going to be a real shakedown period. Uh, we all know that dogs experience jealousy. Uh, if you've ever watched your own dog, when you make a fuss over a baby or somebody else's dog, mm. you can see the they're trying to insert themselves in between you, do whatever they can to get your attention focused back on them. So I think there will be a period of time where the old dog uh, isn't real thrilled about having the new dog in the house. But uh, dogs are pack animals. They're social. Uh, mm-hmm. They will establish kind of a pecking order, and you know they'll settle in and be okay. We saw it happen in the family when Jasper died, and then Rocky came in, and then the original little um, Jack Russell died, and then another little one came in because they shared a crate at times, because they shared the yard, their bowls. As you say, they do better than people. They they <laughs> they really you know they really bonded, and I think. Um, because people were showing love to both, it just seemed to work. I don't know about every breed. I, I don't know dogs that well. But I think um, if people have a positive attitude toward it, it's going to make a difference too. One of the things I say in terms of grief work, and I think it really applies with pets, and we're talking about dogs today, is I say to people that I, I want you to consider that you have an enduring presence of that dog that you loved. That dog has permanently and positively changed you. You can't lose that. That belongs to you. That's the story of your first dog or Jasper or the dog that you were so in love with. The, the presence of a new dog to help you navigate life, to enjoy going outside, to meet new people, doesn't necessarily take that. And it, no matter what the circumstances of the loss are, there's nothing that says you're not allowed to move forward after complicated grief. That's right. I, I think people sometimes feel like you're cheating on the dog by getting a new dog in your life. And that's not the case at all. And uh, you're correct when, you know, the dog that no longer is with you is still with you, and very much in a way. You have pictures of you with the dog. You've got fond mm-hmm. memories. And that's one of the things I try to remind people um, who write to me all the time. They sometimes will write to me, you know, a few weeks after they've lost a dog, and they're upset because they feel like it's been long enough that they should have gotten past it, but they can't stop thinking about the dog and they still cry and uh, they're obsessed with, you know, the fact that the dog is no longer there. And um, I, I try to reassure them that over time, you'll spend much more time remembering the good stuff and much less time on the sad stuff. The sad mm-hmm. stuff really just usually happens for a very brief period of time right at the end of the dog's life. And over time, that gets outweighed by all of the years of good stuff that came before that. But because it's so fresh in our mind, right after the dog is gone, it kind of takes over for a while. But mm-hmm. you, you still have all that good stuff, even if you get a new dog. You're adding more good stuff. That's the way to think Absolutely. about it. Absolutely. And to add to that, what we say as with loss in general is don't be ashamed of the grief. The grief is the, as Joanne Cacciatore, who does so much work on bearing the unbearable, she says the grief is the indication of great love. Great grief equals great love. So it's okay to feel grief. And as you're saying, it's also okay at times. And I think it's going to go both ways. At times you feel okay. And then suddenly you see a dog that looks just like your dog and you're crying and upset. It makes perfect sense. But, you know, it doesn't, doesn't mean you're not walking forward. I also think for the, our listeners to know, my sister just told me the story that she walked across the street and her neighbor, she didn't know her neighbor lost their, their beautiful lab that everyone knew, felt gave her every detail of that loss and she said it was okay with her and she knew that he had to do that take the opportunity to know that people are caring and will hear the story because very often frank people do need to tell the story of the loss yes yes they do and i think 
people who have had dogs themselves are very good at this. Mm-hmm. They've been there. They understand it. But I do think for someone who's never had a dog in their life, mm-hmm. they, uh, they know that people love their dogs, and they know that it's a big deal when the dog dies. But because they've never experienced that kind of relationship themselves, they can't really empathize. And I do think sometimes you run into people who think, you know, you're really making too much out of this. And um, as I wrote in the article, your own dog is never just a dog. Absolutely. That's absolutely true. So, Frank, if you were to give a take-home message to our listeners today, what is it? What would you be saying? Well, I'd be saying cherish the time you have with your dog. The dog is, is there for you, and it's an important part of your life. And when the time comes, uh, it's perfectly okay to, to do it all over again. Okay. Now, Frank, you have so many great articles. How can our listeners find you, read your material, read more about what, what you have addressed in your, piece, in your written research? Well, the place to start, I have a website, frankmcandrew.com, which gives you more information than you would possibly want to know about me. But it <laughs> will also link up with things that I've written and uh, some of my media appearances. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at ftmcandrew. Okay. Frank, I want to thank you again for returning to Psych Up Live. You're always such a pleasure as a guest. You always have so much to share. And thank you in particular for sharing your personal loss of your dog and all the information that you mentioned in terms of the MRIs, the domestication theory. You really offered our listeners a great deal today. Thanks again for joining us. Well, thank you very much. Okay. I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this and any prior show as a podcast by 6 p.m. tonight on my host site, my website, but even more importantly, on any podcast platform. That means iTunes, Stitcher, Apple, Amazon Audible. Tune in if you go to Psych Up Live. This podcast will be on tonight. Drop me a comment or a question at Radio Host Phillips. If you have lost a dog, both Frank and I are six are extending, you know, our heartfelt uh, wishes that you do okay with that and that you never forget how much that dog loved you and you love that dog. Until next week, please be safe. Thanks and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, be well and be listening.